doing this evening? Awesome, awesome. Um, I want us to open up in prayer. Um, I would ask that y'all would pray for me as I uh, share with you what I've been studying in God's Word. Um, If you want to, you can go ahead and be turning to Ecclesiastes. We're going to be picking up where we left off a few months ago. I'm going to do a quick little review after I open us up in prayer, and then we're going to we're going to dive right in. I'm hoping we can get through a uh, a couple of different topics this evening. What we're going to find this evening is there are back to back to back, uh, just jewels of wisdom in the text that we're going to be looking at. So let's open up in prayer, Lord. First, just let me. I ask that you would forgive me. Lord, I find in myself so much pridefulness. Lord, I pray that you would be merciful on me in in spite of me. That you would move. Lord, I have been praying, and it is my continual prayer that you would move among us, that your Holy Spirit would revive us again. Lord, that you would drive us to repentance. you would open our eyes to our sinfulness that you would open our eyes to our sinful motives Lord and when we allow pride to rise up in us that you would strike it down even if it means striking us down Lord is As we open your word this afternoon, I pray that we would understand the weight of what it is that we get to do when we open your word, or that we would not be beyond reproof, that we would not be so prideful and hardened in our hearts, that we would be broken by you. Lord, I pray that you would tear down every wall that we build up that would separate us from you and your mercy and your grace and your kindness and your holiness. Lord, move in this place. Lord, move in such a way that your people would know that you were here. That they would know that you are mighty to save. And that you do the work that we cannot do. Lord, now I pray that you would seal my lips, that I would speak nothing of myself. Let the truth of your scripture be brought forth and let it stand on its own. 
Let it break us. Lord, let it break us. That we could be brought closer to you. That we could be more faithful servants of you. Lord, let us see the vanity in our lives. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would strip it from us. It's in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so I'm not sure how many have been to the last couple of uh, messages that I've been able to preach. It's been a couple of months now, so I would suspect that probably most have uh, have forgotten if your memories is as good as mine. Uh, so what I would like to do first, uh, we're not going to do a complete recap, but I, I do want to go back to Ecclesiastes chapter one, verse two, so that we can kind of get ourselves back in the context of everything that we're looking at. And this verse really does set uh, the context uh, for everything. So we're going to look at two and then three. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1. So, everything is meaningless, says the teacher. Completely meaningless. What do people get for all of their hard work under the sun? So, some translations are going to read vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Right? The point that the writer of Ecclesiastes is trying to get across to us, and he mentions it here, and we have been digging through, we're now in chapter 4, so we've already dug through three chapters worth of his attempt to show us the vanity in a life lived only in vain pursuits that are fixed under the sun. So last time uh, we looked at the last part of chapter 3 and we kind of dug into the first few verses of chapter 4, instead of going back over that in depth, I've tried to kind of summarize in just a sentence or a phrase uh, what I hope that we got out of the message last time. And this will kind of bring us back into where we're looking at looking today. So this is what I would hope that you would have gotten out of what we found last time. And this is just kind of, uh, if, you, if you've ever read C.S. Lewis, this will probably sound... Familiar. I've taken a, a, a kind of a popular quote of his and kind of reworded it uh, with the ideas that, that came out of the last message. So this is, this is the idea behind it. If you find in this world that your life is without hope, the most probable explanation is that you should place your hope in another world. So last time we began looking at injustices in life, and we finished up. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 3. Today we're going to start in verse 4, and we're going to, there's going to be two passages of text in the New Testament that we're going to look at to contrast with what we see here in Ecclesiastes. Because I think the best way to really get the full value out of Ecclesiastes is to keep in mind that what difficulties Ecclesiastes brings up for us, we find the antithesis of these problems. We find the answers to these problems in the New Testament. So as we dig in today, we're going to be flipping uh, from Ecclesiastes. We're going to look also at uh, the book of Philippians, the first chapter, and we're also going to look at the fourth chapter of Second Timothy. But uh, I'll tell you when to, when to flip over there. 
I'm going to be asking you a couple of questions tonight, so I would like it if, if we could be open. Are y'all good with that? Can we do kind of question answer? Is it, it, hopefully it's not too late in the evening that we're kind of dozing off. Uh, I'm going to ask you questions, and then I'm either going to stand here looking silly or we're going to have answers come out, right? Okay, so I'm going to open up in verse 4, and I'm just going to read it, and then we're going to ask a couple of questions about this and kind of try to dig into it a little bit. Keep in mind, meaningless under the sun. So this should always be driving us to looking beyond the sun when we find meaning in these things. But like last time, I didn't allow you to use the church answers. I'm not going to allow you to use the church answers when you give me your answers today. Because unfortunately, many times when we're in here, we we know the answer to say. And when we go out there, we live completely opposite lives. So what I hope that we do today is really start digging into some roots that have maybe set up in our lives uh, regarding certain things. And that we that we see for ourselves through the reading of God's Word just how vain some of our attempts uh, can be. So verse 4 of chapter 4 of Ecclesiastes, Then I observed that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors. This too is meaningless, like chasing the wind. I could probably stop there. Right? Like I could probably stop there and just let you think on these things and it would be good. And some of you might be happy because you might get to go home from church early tonight. But I want to ask you a couple of questions so that we can kind of dig into this verse, so that we can examine our own motives and our own ideas of success. So I want to ask you today, we're going to, there's two things in this. We're going to look at motives and we're going to look at success in this verse. So the first thing that I want to ask you is what motivates you? What motivates you? And this is the part where you could give answers. Right? Now, I know that we're supposed to say what? God. Right? We're we're supposed to say God or Jesus or heavenly things or the kingdom of God and and all that, but, but can we be honest? Is it okay, is it okay for us to be honest and, and, and to admit that we're not there yet? Paul admits that he's not there yet, right? We can be running for the prize and still admit that we're not there yet. So I want us to be honest, okay? And now when I say this, I know in the back of your mind you're thinking, what's the least sinful answer that I can give that would sound honest? Like, really, we do, don't we? Like, I want to, I want to sound churchy so I can be the one that raises my hand and gives an answer, but I want to, I don't want to step too far and people think that I'm a sinner, right? What I would not give, what I would not give if as a church, we could really be honest. If we could really be honest. What motivates you? Material things. Oh my goodness. Attention? Money? Approval? I, I wish somebody was a really fast writer and could write these things down. So we've got material gain. We've got money. We've got attention. We've got approval. Well, I, I thought I heard another one. What was the other one? Success. Su- success in and of itself because what motivates 
us to success. So sometimes even just the idea of success can be our motivation, right? Are there any others? Do I see a hand in the in the back? Oh wow! Oh wow! Our our grandchildren, maybe a little more generally, our family, right? Now, is Landon going to stand up here and say that that's bad? Like, that almost sounds like a good one, doesn't it? Trying to prove ourselves, this is a good one. Any more? What, what else motivates you? Jealousy? Envy? Love for family? Sometimes hate. What else? Anything else? I'm just, I want to see what we got. I want to judge you. (laughs) We're all sinners. So, any others? Fear? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. How many, I wonder, of those who maybe have already said something, or have not said something yet, how many of us can raise our hands to most of the things that we've heard and say, yeah, that's, if not at the moment, at some moment in the past, it has been a motivator for me. Right? I want to think about the fear thing for a second because oftentimes, as Christians, we're motivated by fear. Have I done enough? Did, Did what... Christ did on the cross was was that sufficient enough to cover up me and the sins that I've committed? Fear, yeah. Any anybody else? Any other things that motivate you? Anger, hatred, lust. Pride. Any, any that's not been listed? What you got, Rob? Self-justification. Self-justification. Oh my goodness. That's awesome. And it's absolutely true. We want to look good in front of others. Or maybe we just want to look good in front of ourselves. Right? Prove something to ourselves. So that's... That's motivation. What is this? Maybe, and now again, I'm stripping away the you can't give the church the answer right yet. What motivate or so we've got our motives here. What, what, how would you label success? Like, what, what would it mean for you at the end of your days to have lived a successful life? How much do you have? How much have you acquired? Right? That's good. That's probably a large majority fall into that at some point, if not currently. Am I better? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I've heard it said that it wouldn't be worth being number one if there wasn't a number two. Right? (laughs) So, being better than somebody. We would say that that was success. If we've got the most stuff at the end. 
Okay, so we have our eyes looking towards those that we that we say are successful. We admire what they've done, and we want that. That's good. That's good. That's these are these are honest. I'm 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 liking what we're what we're saying here. Anybody else? Any? A legacy. Oh wow! I now I wouldn't have thought of that one, but now that I hear it, I'm like. Lord's like, maybe that's you, Landon. <laughs> because sometimes, and this is true, even what we see is godly motives, if we sweep back the dust a little bit, we'll, we'll find that it's self-glorification. I want to leave a legacy. For who? Right? For who? Even as preachers, deacons, church people, who who do you want to make their name great? No, spit it. Yeah, this is good. Loved ones, right? And that seems admirable. It would almost seem wrong to say, well, you shouldn't want to make your loved one's name great. Anybody else got anything else? So we've got our motives. We've got our ideas of success. Anybody else got any other ideas of success? Being popular. Being famous. Being well known. That's good. Anybody else? I want to make sure that we kind of get these things laid out. Right? Now, man, I wonder... Again, honesty. I wonder if we could be so honest as to say or admit in front of one another that sometimes our motives are off. And that sometimes our ideas of what it means to be successful are wrong. Who maybe today would say that? Yeah, yeah. So, we're growing. Is that okay to say? That as a preacher, as a father, as a husband, as a man, I'm growing. Always. Or are we? We should be. We should be. So one thing that I want us to point out as we kind of dig into this a little bit more is this is not a one time I address these issues and then I, I, I never look back to them. These things are going to be something that we constantly have to battle with to make sure that our eyes are fixed 
beyond the sun for what we see success as being. And we fight our fleshly desires to chase after motivations and ends that in themselves are meaningless, pointless, vain. In everything that we do, in every day of our lives, let us be checking and making sure that our motives are right. Absolutely. Let us, let us be a church that is real. Because so often, we're not. So often, we just give the churchy answer because that's what you want to hear. And I'll deal with this that I got later. Right? First thing we need to understand is if it's being dealt with at all in you, it's not you dealing with it. It's the Holy Spirit moving and working and changing. Hopefully in a couple of years when we get through Ecclesiastes and we start in Romans, we'll be able to see this. Right? That it's from faith to faith all the way through it is the Holy Spirit working to justify working to sanctify. Every step along the way, we must be in constant repentance. Constant repentance. Repentance is not something that you just do once when you first meet Jesus. The life of a Christian will be marked by daily repentance. So we're going to see two truths that are kind of set up to give us here a little bit of perspective. We're going to see this in verse 5 and verse 6. And once we kind of look at these truths in the context of the Scripture, we're going to flip over after that to Philippians chapter 1. Because even though we know how to give the churchy answers to these things, Sometimes I question if we know how to live the churchy answers. Right? Because I think if we lived those things that we oftentimes find it easy to say in here, that our lives and our church would be different than it is. Alright, so we're going to explore that a little bit. But first, let's look at chapter 4, verse 5. Fools fold their idle hands, leading them to ruin. And yet, better to have one handful with quietness than two handfuls with hard work and chasing the wind. The first thing that I want to say, because when I, when, when you dig into this, when you dig into this and you look at verse 4 and you start looking and saying, well, everything under the sun is meaningless and void, what does that mean for any successes that are had under the sun? What does that mean about anything worldly motivated under the sun? Again, we've kind of faced this question in a past passage of text, and it's going to keep coming up, should I just not work? Should I just not do anything? Should we all just answer the call to preach? You should be preaching whether you've answered the call or not. Like, read the end of the Gospels. That's a command for everybody. Alright? 
So we get a little bit of perspective here. It would be foolish for us to say, don't do anything. It would be foolish for us to say, well, let's just fold our hands and we'll let other people do the work and other people find success and and these things. So it would be foolish to go to that extreme. But it would also be foolish, and I think that we see this by the way that he words the uh, the text here in verse 6, it would also be foolish to go to the other extreme. And to think that by chasing and running and being motivated and being consumed by things of this world, that you could somehow find happiness, joy, peace. Because that's not going to happen. So what he tells us instead is that it is better to have one handful with quietness than two handfuls with hard work and chasing the wind. This is not telling us, by the way, to not work hard. Alright? I want to give you a little bit of perspective here on what this is saying. What does it mean that it's good to have one handful with quietness rather than two handfuls with hard work and chasing the wind? Anybody, can you give me a word that would summarize that? Contentment. Thank, did I write my notes in your Bible? Right. <laughs> Does it say contentment instead of this? <laughs> That's exactly right. Be content. We're going to find later on that, that we're going to be told that we should be content with our lot in life. This doesn't mean that we should be unmotivated in our workplace. To do a good work, what it's going to mean is that our motivations come from a different place than just making money and making a name for ourselves. And everything that we do, we do it to glorify the Lord, is what we're going to find. Right? So I want us to keep that in mind, that it would be foolish to say, just fold your hands up and do nothing. It would be foolish also to say that you could somehow find contentment in this world, because you cannot. Find contentment here. If you're motivated to a success that's found here in this world, you will always find yourself chasing after the wind. How many of you, I wonder, how many of you, I wonder, maybe some no, but maybe some yes. How many, how many of you, when you were younger, you had set in your mind what it was to be successful and you got there? What happens when you get there? It's not enough. So what do you do? Well, I had to work hard to get here, so I'll work even harder. Right? I'll work even harder. That guy looks like he's staying at work till 6, 7 o'clock in the evenings. I'll do that too. And what do we do? We neglect the work of God. We neglect our families. Our priorities get all out of whack when we chase after goals that are fixed in this world. And I want us to contrast that with what our lives would look like if we found contentment in Christ with our lot in this life and instead of being motivated by greed or envy or lust or pride or possessions or future hope of possessions, we would find ourselves being motivated by making His name great. 
what we'll find is in that we'll be content with our lives and we'll find the only success that we can hope for in this life. So I want us to turn to Philippians chapter 1 verse 21. And I want you to keep in mind as we're looking at this text here in Philippians that this is gonna, this is, the ideas that we're gonna see here are gonna tie back into the next couple of verses that we see in Ecclesiastes. Okay? So I'm gonna point out a couple of things here in, in Philippians that I hope are kind of like little mind grenades that blow up when we get back over into into Ecclesiastes, and then things maybe start making sense of, of what oftentimes seems to be maybe some difficult difficult text. So the first thing that I want to point out here, and oftentimes you've, heard this, you, you've probably heard this preach and you're not going to see a big deal made of this, but I want to point it out just so that you can, uh, just so that you can see something. Uh, verse 1 of chapter 1 of Philippians says, This letter is from Paul and Timothy. Alright? Now that in and of itself is not a big deal, right? Like there's some deeper things in Philippians than this letter is from. Right? Oftentimes, some of the most mundane seeming passages of text can be the most impactful on us when we understand where our motives should be and what success is for us. Okay? So the first thing that I want to point out is Philippians starts off, this letter is from Paul and Timothy. That says slaves of Christ there. We're going to jump down to uh, Philippians chapter 1 verse 21. Paul speaking here of his life. And I would challenge you to go and read the full thing up to this point. But for, for time, we're just going to jump here. He says, for me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. But I live, but if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which is far better for me. But for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I'm convinced that I will remain alive so that I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. What is he doing here? What is he doing here? No answer is wrong. Unless I, I'll tell you if it is. <laughs> God's will. For what purpose? Yeah. And minister to others. Paul here is torn between two desires. And I think that a Christian life is going to be torn in the same way. We long to be with Christ. We long to be with Christ. This is how we find... Victory and death. We talked about last time in Ecclesiastes where we see nobody's bringing you back from death. I don't know if anybody remembers this. And, and in the New Testament, we find someone who did, in fact, come back from the dead. And we rest our hope for life in Him. 
And we long for the day. We should be longing for the day that we are with Him. But until then, do y'all see, I, w- I want you to see what he says here. He says, a co- he says some pretty, pretty bold things here. Alright? He says, for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. What does that mean? That God has purpose for His life. It wasn't for Paul's own sake that it was better. Right? For us as Christians to continue living on, is not for our sakes. Because one, to die for us is gain. So we live for the service of Christ in the ministering to others. And if we're not, vanity of vanities. And this is not just for preachers. This is not just for deacons. This is for every single one of you. If you belong to Christ, He left you for service so that His name could be made great. And success is as easy as following through with your service. And there's, man, there's some good stuff in this. Verse 25. I want, I want, man, this is crazy scripture. And I don't, I wonder if y'all see this. Knowing this, I'm convinced that I'll remain alive so that I can continue help you, continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. What, what is he confident in? He's he's confident that he will live. He knows that he will not step foot from this life into eternity until God's purpose for him is fulfilled. This is something to be confident about. So that when you're flying on that rickety plane to the middle of Africa, wondering if it's going to crash and burn, you can say to yourself, all these people on here are safe. Because God's got purpose. I mean, we see this in the New Testament. Paul tells them, none of y'all's lives are going to be spared, or going to be required of you tonight, right? The angel comes to him and tells him this. This is a bold man. He's making bold statements. If we're serving Christ, we too can have that confidence to know that the work that He began in us, He will finish in us. So that when the storms come, it might get a little rough. We're confident. We're confident. Sometimes I wonder if we are. The way we like to jump ship. Get my feet on dry ground. So I want us to notice this. I mentioned the Timothy thing because that's going to come back in a little bit. And I want you to notice that he is ministering to others. Success for Paul was what? A life lived for Christ. 
Yes. He starts his letters off. Slave, bond servant. This was literally someone in chains to someone else. A bond servant. The way that he identified himself, he identified himself with respect to Christ. This is how we are supposed to be. Our motives are to be fixed in His purposes, in His plans. And our measure of success, if we just walk in it, we're successful. To serve Christ is to be successful. And any doubt of that is the shifting of the eyes away from what success is. It's His name that we're living to glorify. It's His purposes for which we're here. Let's go back over to, uh, to Ecclesiastes. We're going to look in verse uh, 7 now. He's kind of changing gears here. And he's already, this is the second time in this chapter that he's changed gears. He changed gears in chapter uh, 4, verse 3 to 4, and now from 6 to 7, he's changing gears again. But uh, I want to show you something that there is, that there is a thread that, that runs through these things. So, verse 7, a slightly different topic. If you've got the Bibles that have the little, uh, section breakdowns. This is going to probably mention something about companionship here. So in verse 7 we read, I observed yet another example of something meaningless. Where? Under the sun. This is the case of a man who is all alone without a child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But he asks himself, Who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It's all so meaningless and depressing. And I want to I want to stop here. And I understand that there could be some of you that are reading this passage of text. Maybe I don't I don't know everybody's life, man. Maybe you can't have kids. I don't know. Maybe you've struggled with the Lord about this. Maybe you're this maybe you're this man that's all alone and you look at this because in this is let's be honest, this is where many times family, right? Our grandkids, whether they turn out good, our kids, whether they turn out good Put a lot of hopes on them. Put a lot of hopes on them. And our measure of success as parents oftentimes is measured by the success of our children. So, if you're this one that maybe you're finding it hard to have a child, you, you work hard, you're a good person, you think God's punishing you, I want us I want us to go and I want us to flip to now take note that when we looked at Philippians it started out Paul Timothy 
If you were to go and look at the book of Romans, look at just about any of the New Testament books, just about all of them end with what I call like name dropping. You'll get just random people just getting their names mentioned in here. And it's like, well, what, a, what did they do to deserve that, right? You get names dropped. You look in the book of Romans, like the last chapter of Romans. I spent years on this book. And it took me going probably three or four years through it before this thing this, that we're going to learn tonight dropped on me like a like a bombshell. Right? So let's flip over. Let's flip over. And for any of us that may be struggling with these kind of issues, I'm not in any way making light of them. But I want us to understand that ultimately God's purposes for our lives are higher than our own. And though you may not be able to bear children physically, I can promise you, you can bear children spiritually. Many of us, if brought to court on this, would be found to be neglectful parents. God has called us to ministering to others. So we're going to turn now to 2 Timothy chapter 4. So in, before we get there, before we get there, I want, to, I want to make note again, the way that he contrasts these things in Ecclesiastes. He's done it before already in earlier passages. He's doing it here again. He contrasts this idea of not being able to bear children as meaningless when it comes to gain and success that is worldly. Right? We see, I got all this stuff, nobody to pass it on to. Right? That's what we see here. And this is not the first time that we've seen it in Ecclesiastes. And this, I want to, to tell you, is contrasted against the New Testament idea of family. We even see Jesus in the New Testament approached at one point. He's like, who is my mother? Right? Now, I'm not saying that there's not family unit. Do not get me wrong there. There absolutely is. When we get to heaven, I want to tell you, I want to tell you something true. When we get to heaven, every single one of you, I will love more than I love my wife now. Do y'all, do y'all understand that? Now I love my wife. I love my wife. But when we get to heaven, we will love in a greater way than we can love now. And that love will be for one another and for God. For eternity. You want to know who your mother, who your brother is? You know who your family is? Yet we fail them when we fail to serve them, when we're motivated by other things rather than Christ's purposes. Let's look over in 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy. Chapter four, and we're going to look at uh, we're going to look at verse five. Or we may start a little earlier than that. Second Timothy chapter four. No, we'll start in verse five. And he's speaking here to who? This is Paul again, 
Okay, just kind of get us, get us oriented. So we have Philippians, Paul and Timothy are writing. We have 2 Timothy here, Paul writing to Timothy. Paul has been serving with Timothy. You could say like a father figure or a brother. He's been ministering to him. We see in Ecclesiastes this constant regret. I don't have children to leave my stuff to. And then we see this in the New Testament. We see contrasted vanity because I'm telling you, if all there was was what's found under the sun, you could leave as much you wanted to your kids and their kids' kids, every dynasty, every legacy, dead one day. If all there is is what's found under the sun. It all ends cold, dark, and black. Unless there's something else. Unless there's something found beyond the sun. And this is what we're confident in. So this is what we should be striving after. And this is what he says. This is like last words. Right? Last words. Like what would you say to someone? Last words. In Ecclesiastes, well that was surely meaningless. In 2 Timothy, we find this. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others about the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has for you. Verse 6, As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which is for the Lord, the righteous judge will give me on his day of, on the day of his return look how unselfish he is next right we get we get this vast contrast between the helplessness hopelessness vanity and meaninglessness of a life lived without god and the hopeless or the hopefulness of a life lived for god here where he's not selfish He doesn't feel like his life's been lived in vain. He feels like it's been poured out as an offering to others. And he says here, the prize is not just for me. How many of us, our success in life comes at the failure of someone else? Hmm? First place is not worth having if there's not a second place. That's not what we find in the race that we're a part of, church. The prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to His appearing. And we're going to read a little bit here, and it's just, what I want, what I want you to get out of this, it, it almost is going to seem like maybe it doesn't even fit with the, with the message. He says in verse 9, Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone on to Thessalonica. 
So we see here very personal words, right? Very personal words. Oftentimes we pick this thing up, and and I don't know about y'all, but I find myself oftentimes looking at it very academically, right? I find myself like I'm going to break all this text down, and because you know what, I'm prideful, and I want to be the best. And when I stand up here, I want to be the best. So I work hard. I want to outwork everybody, and I find myself wrestling. I find myself wrestling. Who, who's, whose glory are you seeking after? Can we be honest? Can we be honest? And you know what we find here? This is not an exercise in theology. This is very personal. Timothy, please come as soon as you can. We have books that were written to people, not theologians. You got me? We have books that were written to us, the church, so that we could learn to live as Christ. And how did Christ live? As a servant to us. Let's go back to Ecclesiastes. So, before we continue on, if you find yourself wrestling with the things of chapter 4, verse 8, I want to encourage you. You can have many, many, Many spiritual descendants. Serve someone. Don't fold your hands idly. Don't be so caught up in the service that you lose sight of Christ. Be content where He's placed you and serve those whom you're among. Verse 9, Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. Again, our ideas about success matter here. And I want to ask you, what kind of person are you? Are you going to be one that's seeking to help others succeed? If you are, you'll have many, many lives that God will affect through you. I can promise you this. You have brothers, sisters, sons, daughters. Help them succeed. So often we find ourselves so worried about our successes that we neglect the the successes 
of others. Verse 10, if one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in trouble. Some truth in here, as Christians, and just life in general, you're not going it alone. And if you are, watch out. Unless you stumble. Likewise, two people lying closely together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Again, I want us to examine ourselves in our motives, in our striving for success, and I want to ask what kind of person are you? What kind of friend are you? What kind of co-worker are you? Are you one like we find in the New Testament with Paul and Timothy? Right? Like, do you have someone that if you were gonna, if you were in prison today and you thought you were gonna die tomorrow and you had to say something to about the Lord, do you have someone that would care to hear what you have to say? If you don't, let me tell you, it's not because the field is not ripe for harvest. It's because you've likely got your eyes fixed on some other success that you will one day find unfruitful. Instead of serving in the capacity that Christ has called you and enabled you to serve. Don't fail to serve. Three or even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. This is often used um, for, uh, I've, I've heard it very often, and, and this is not to say that it's not absolutely, uh, absolutely correct in this. So often we use this as relating to a husband and wife and God being the third strand. But here, here's what I want to tell you. Every godly relationship is a three-stranded relationship. It's not just marriage. It's not just marriage. Every relationship that we are a part of as Christians is three-stranded. Now, I want you to reflect on something else too, because I, I think this is pretty cool. The Trinity is also such. Right? One God, three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Let, let, let that bind us together in all of our relationships. In all of our relationships. And we're going to end with these last couple of verses um, and, and we'll be done. So, verse 13. It's better to be a poor but wise youth than an old foolish king who refuses all advice. Such a youth could rise from poverty and succeed. He might even become king, though he has been in prison. But then everyone rushes to the side of yet another youth who replaces him. Endless crowds stand around him, but then another generation grows up and rejects him too. So it's all meaningless, like chasing the wind. He's going back to the thought that he was putting out earlier here. 
Do you see this? What motivates you to success? Do you not see the greatest rags to riches story given here? Let's read it again. And I want you to see rags to riches because this is what we would often define as the most successful kind of life. To rise from nothing to the King. And He shows us this here. And He shows us that the greatest thing that you could do and call it success in this world is vain, pointless, meaningless. Let's look at it again. It's, it's better to be a poor, wise youth than an old, foolish king who refuses all advice. It is better. Such a youth could rise from poverty and succeed. It could happen for you. You could find all kinds of worldly success if you work hard enough, if you sacrifice enough. You could. You could. And the world would say, look how good that is. Look how amazing that is. He might even become king. Then he was in prison. But. But. And I want you to notice how the greatest success that you could find in this world, but. But, and that's the problem with everything that you chase after under the sun. But, your time will come and your time will go. And your name, as great as you may make it, will fade and be forgotten. So let us not seek to make our own name great. Let us seek to make His name great. And let us do that by serving others in His name. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for the truth of Your Word. I thank You for Christ. Lord, in Christ we find meaning. In Christ, we find hope. In Christ, we find purpose. Lord, I thank You that You love us enough that You would show us the truth of the errors of our ways. I thank You that through Your Word, You open our eyes and open the eyes of our hearts that we can see the errors of our ways. Lord, it is so easy and our hearts are so prone to wander. Lord, we feel it. Lord, I pray that You take us and that You lead us that You change us, that You shape us, that You use us for Your kingdom. Lord, may Your name forever reign.